1: Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Karlsson, 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 Karlsson ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson skulle ha så bra som mig Carlson, Karlsson, Carlson
0: scores! Yes. carlson yeah welcome everybody to like carlson. another episode of the keeping Black carlson Fantasy hockey podcast the best God fantasy hockey podcast in the world hosted by two guys who own eric carlson in their keeper pools i am back to host the show my name is elon dubrovsky and with me is the fantasy hockey robot himself brian calm
1: hello elon it is so nice to have you back on the show
0: Funny guy. We don't have time for jokes, Brian. It's the playoffs. We have to focus on our teams. And that's what this episode is going to be about. Of course, before we start, I want to mention that we're presented by dailyfaceoff.com. We had that great interview with Brock Sagan that we released a couple of days ago. If you didn't catch it, definitely check it out because Brock gave some really helpful tips of players that you might want to look at picking up for next week's matchup. And of course, you want to go to dailyfaceoff.com whenever you need to look at starting goalies, line combos, all the things that we've been telling you about all throughout the season. Brian, let's get on with the show. And normally we would start with injuries or outjuries or some sort of headline, but I think today we need to start with the snoozer segment. And the reason is, if you need to think of someone that you're going to pick up, it's not so, so hard, right? Like you go to maybe last 30 days average points and you see who is the best of all of your free agents, and you sort of want to pick between one of those people. We try to tell you whether their production is sustainable or fleeting. But I feel like the harder thing at this point of the year is to know when it's time to let go of these people who are sitting on your roster doing nothing while you see a bunch of free agents lighting it up. You know, we've been talking about Brandon Peary and Nail Yakupov over the past two weeks. Do you drop one of these guys to pick up one of those guys? So Brian, what do you think? We're going to start with some snoozers?
1: Yeah, that's a great way to start this week's show because it is so important. If you want to grab a hot hand and you're nervous about dropping somebody who you think you should rely on, I think we are feeling better at this stage of the season to give you the green light to do that. And I'm going to say it: that underlying numbers are mattering less and less as the time remaining in the season dwindles. We're looking at, like, 10, 11-game samples from here on out, and... Really, anything can happen in a 10 or 11 game sample. We've seen a lot of names drop in and out over 10 or 11 games at a time this season. And it's not so much anymore about sustainable or fleeting. If you see a guy producing and you think that there's a chance he continues it, if his minutes are up, if his deployment is looking good, then those are reasons to pick up a guy right now, forget what's going to happen a month from now, you need to get through this matchup, and we're going to go over some players who might be holding you back that you'd never think of dropping, but at this point of the season... It's something that you must consider.
0: And the player I want to start with is a guy that we trumpeted way back In the draft preview episode, I recall that we said that this guy is injured, so you might be able to get a steal on him because he'll fall a bit later in your drafts. And Brian and I actually did get a steal on Derek Stepan, who he drafted pretty late, and he was pretty much a point-per-game player all throughout the season. Like, you look at his monthly splits, 12 points in 11 games in November, 13 and 12 in December, 7 and 11 in January, 11 and 13 in February. Since then, though, this guy has gone ice cold. He has zero goals and two assists in his last 14 games. He is currently on a 12-game point drought. This is killing me, Brian. Like, why can't the guy get any points? From what I see, he's on the top line. He's playing with good players. The Rangers aren't getting shut out every game. They're not the Maple Leafs. So why isn't Derek Stepan getting points? And at this point in the season,
1: do we drop him? Or do we think he's going to bounce back? You know, Elon, he's not the only Ranger that's been having difficulty putting up points over the last little while. And yes, they're not being shut out, but they are being saved for an inordinate amount of games by their goalie. Like you've already said, Derek Stepan is on a 12-game pointless and 14-game goalless drought. And he's playing on the top line alongside Rick Nash, which you'd think, hey, that's a really good thing. Way better than Marty St. Louis, who we'll talk a little bit about later on in the show. But Rick Nash might, I don't know, I don't know, it's hard to say because he hasn't done it all year and we've been expecting it, but he might finally be regressing now, which is awful. He has just two goals and two assists for four points in his last 12 games, and I would say that that run of futility has got to end soon for Rick Nash, but I said the same thing of his run of insane scoring and production, and that did just keep rolling on and on for like 60 games played. So is Derek Stepan a snoozer? I don't think so. I mean, it depends on how desperate you are and how good your free agency options are, and here's the way I look at it. You are going to want to count on your star players for the rest of the season. If your star players haven't been producing for you over the last, like, few weeks or a month, that's really tough, and that's really unfortunate but I think every new game, you have to think that they're going to start doing what they're supposed to be doing, that they're more likely to start scoring at the rates that you'd expect them to score than to continue a pointless drought. There's nothing that jumps out at me to say that Stepan is doing something wrong here, and while watching him, he has not looked terribly bad either. I think if you have the patience, and Elon, this is the argument I've made for our own fantasy team. I think we should have the patience to keep him for as long as we can. As long as his schedule is favorable, I'm willing to keep giving him a new and fresh start with every game he plays.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, okay, let's just say there are some positives. Like two games ago against Chicago, he took six shots. So maybe he should be getting some better luck. He's still playing over 18 minutes a game. So, okay, I guess we're saying Derek Stepan... Not a snoozer, but he's on snoozer alert for sure for me and like, just come on, man. Do it. Get a goal.
1: He's like a relative snoozer, along with, I think, a lot of the guys we're talking about. It depends. If you're in a very shallow league and you can cycle out Stepan and get somebody who is almost as good or drop him into a free agent pool that has a lot of similar players... Then it's a more move worth making than for you and I, Elon, when the guy that we had available to us was Alex Killorn in free agency, and actually he's been doing pretty well, better than Stepan lately.
0: Well, that's not too hard. But okay, so Brian's saying no to Derek Stepan as a snoozer. We'll see if any of these other names who are stars, but maybe Brian will find something in their underlying numbers to say they actually are a snoozer. I want to go now to San Jose. I want to talk about Patrick Marlowe. This guy has zero points in his last seven games, and I feel really bad. There's a guy in my league who traded Justin Abdulkader and a pick to get Marlowe for his fantasy playoffs, and he got eliminated in the quarterfinals. Mainly because, or at least partially because, he didn't have Abdulkader, who was on fire, and he had Patrick Marlowe, who is pointless in seven games. The struggle is real, people, owning a player like this. Marlowe is a stud. He's got 48 points in 72 games on the year, which I guess isn't very stud-worthy. And we talked about him earlier as someone who was slumping, but then he bounced back when we thought these days were behind us. But now, once again, he's slumping hard, and I want to know, Brian... Do you drop a Patrick Marlowe at this stage of the season?
1: The thing that jumps out at me about Patrick Marlowe, well, there's two. And the first is that he's taking his lowest shot totals since like 2008-2009 so far this season. And he's been averaging still like almost three a game over the course of the 72 games he's played. However, recently, there's been a lot of ones and twos in the SOG column. And that isn't terribly reassuring. The other problem he's had this season is a low shooting percentage. He's shooting at just a 7.3% success rate. Normally, he's used to almost double that, a 13.4% success rate. So he went from a fairly good shooter, like slightly above average, to a decidedly below average shooter this season. Whether that's a sign of him slowing down or not, I'm not sure you can take it as one. That is still hard to say. The jury's still out, and it could be a mix of bad luck and declining talent. We'll find out more about that next year, but you want to know about this year, and I guess I can tell you, I mean, it's no secret that the Sharks are a bit of a hot mess lately. Things aren't going well off the ice, or on the ice for them. They're falling out of the playoff picture rapidly. They lost a couple key games to playoff competitors. And Patrick Marlowe has found himself for the last three games on a line with Thomas Hurdle and Chris Tierney. And, of course, those aren't exactly the players you want to be playing with, a whole lot this season. The Sharks look to have really one productive line at the moment, and I mean one line that I would like to count on for production, and that would be Thornton Pavelski and Melker Carlson, who's reappeared on the score sheet with five points in his last eight games, four of those goals, and his shot rates are excellent. Five shots on goal a couple games ago against Toronto, of course. Seven shots on goal at Winnipeg. Six shots on goal against Chicago. Those are not negligible numbers. Perhaps as long as he's on that top line, he might be of some use to you. One last thing to note about Patrick Marlowe is that his Corsi, his possession numbers, have dropped off. This is the second time this season that his 10-game rolling average is just totally in the tank. He has crashed hard. The good news is that while he's on the ice, he generally sees more of the scoring chances go for him rather than against him. However, obviously, that has not translated to a whole lot. There's a lot of reasons to feel like dropping Patrick Marlowe right now. But Elon, again, he's still a good hockey player. Not in a good situation, though. He's in a worse situation than Stepan. If I was choosing between the two, I would probably take Stepan.
0: What if he had the option to choose between Patrick Marlowe and Melker Carlson?
1: And here's where, like, my original sort of comment really stands. And perhaps it's stubborn of me. And, this might be where you and I, you know, make it to that fork in the road and take separate paths. But I will always count on the more proven player, regardless of what's happened in recent history. I think Patrick Marlowe is going to give me a better chance to win than Melker Carlson. Oh, but it really is tempting in this case, as long as Carlson is playing up with Pavelski and Thornton. And Marlo is missing a winger and playing with Chris Tierney instead.
0: Burn, Chris Tierney. Take that. Okay, the next step on this depressing snoozer train. Let's go to Pittsburgh and talk about Chris Kunitz, a guy who's been a fantasy stud for the past few years, someone who's been drafted in the second or third, fourth maybe round in many of the pools I've been in. But this guy has fallen on hard times. He's got no points in his last eight games, only four points in his last 14 games. And maybe this drought is related to the injuries on Pittsburgh they're again having injury troubles just like we've talked about many times on this season they always seem to come in bunches but right now Hornquist and Malkin they've both been out for the past week Malkin still may be out for another week hopefully Hornquist will be coming back soon but you know what Kunitz was struggling a bit before that and Brian at this point same question Chris Kunitz do you want this guy or not I mean let's take a look at his line mates In Pittsburgh's last game, he was playing with Brandon Sutter and Steve Downey. The guy playing with Crosby right now is Blake Como along with David Perron. So I don't know if Kunitz is worth holding on to. And maybe it seems crazy, but it's crazy to drop Patrick Marleau. And you sort of a little bit gave some permission for people to do that. So what do you say about Kunitz?
1: Kunitz, I'm more hesitant to drop. And yes, the numbers are dismal. Over his last 23 games, this dates back to February 1st, he has only hit the score sheet five times. That means he's put up... 18 zeros in his stat line over his last 23 matchups, which is totally unacceptable for pretty much anybody not named Chris Kunitz or anybody not drafted in the first, you know, three, four rounds of your fantasy draft. One thing working against Kunitz and the other Penguins is that, well, maybe the most important cog in their offense, or one of two, is missing. Evgeny Malkin, and they've shuffled lines because of that. And Elon, you mentioned His linemates last game are not as good as the Crosby and Perron that he is used to seeing. So I think if you're a Kunitz owner, what you're rooting for is for Malkin to come back soon so that he can return to his previous line and have more opportunities to score each game. There's nothing else that's going terribly wrong with him, although he has put up a lot of ones and twos in the shots column recently. And he is sort of bound for one of his least productive seasons in the last while, I would still hang on to him. I don't think he's a snoozer, assuming that Malkin comes back sometimes within the next week. But actually, we don't know that yet, Elon, Dewey.
0: Yeah, as of the last update on Roto World yesterday, he's progressing and skating on his own, but there's still no timetable for his return. So Brian, if, let's say, the news comes out that Malkin is going to be out for the rest of the regular season, would you still want to hang on to Kunitz with uh, some of these good free agents available? And obviously, we're not thinking about a keeper league here. I just want to know, is Kunitz a snoozer for the rest of this season?
1: If Malkin's out, I grow concerned. I don't think Kunitz is going to do a whole lot next to Brandon Sutter and Steve Downey. As I keep saying, it's relative to what's available to you in free agency, but I would feel a lot more comfortable dropping Kunitz if the worst fears of Malkin owners happen to come true. And Elon, while we're on the topic, I mentioned his name, but I'd be remiss not to mention that David Perron has been consistently producing at just above a half a point per game rate over the last two months or so, which is not great to begin with. But on top of that, the goals have dried up too, though. He has just two goals in his last 16 games played. Even more concerning, over the last 10 games, his shots have started to dry up too. There are not a lot of positive things happening in Pittsburgh right now. They seem dead in the water offensively without Malkin including the game that saw Malkin injured. The Pens have just two even strength goals in their last five games played. And even if you add the two power play goals and the empty netter that they've managed to grab in that same spin, it still leaves them averaging just a goal a game for five straight games. And there was a time that you used to hesitate to start goalies against Pittsburgh. It would be playing with fire. You'd bench them in Elon. We've had a lot of conversations over on our Facebook group where people are asking, should I start so-and-so against Pittsburgh? The latest was Kerry Lettinen. Should I start Kerry Lettinen? It's like, well, Kerry Lettinen is kind of weak this season, and he's playing a very good team. But except that second part is not exactly true right now. And I'd say this is even more likely to remain true as long as they're without Malkin. Those goalie starts against the Penguins are no more dangerous than your goalie starts against your average good team. Of course, there's a risk that Crosby and company can blow up for a game, but it has not been happening with the regularity that it did, say, three, four, five seasons ago. A lot of people are still bearing the scars from times that they've started goalies against Pittsburgh or tried again and again and again and kept having their weeks wrecked. But that just has not happened this season, and I'd even venture to say it hasn't happened a whole lot over the last one, too. So what I'm trying to say here is don't bench your goalie against Pittsburgh the way you normally would have over the last several years.
0: Yeah, and I guess the takeaway from all this, for me at least, is if you have one of these Pittsburgh guys like Kunitz or even Perron, maybe hold on because like Hornquist is coming back next week, so the lines are going to get reshuffled again. Maybe Kunitz gets back to playing with Crosby, so I wouldn't drop him just yet, but... If things settle after Hornquist comes back and it's announced that Malkin isn't going to come back, then at that point I think you could assume that the Penguins are going to do what they've been doing with that configuration. Okay, this has been a real bummer of an episode so far. So let's just cover another couple of snoozers very quickly. First, we talked about with Brock Sagan on my bonus episode. I talked to him about Nashville and about those guys. I'm just curious to get your thoughts. Brian, Brock pretty much said guys like Ribeiro and maybe Colin Wilson, it's time to cut bait on them especially Ribeiro his minutes are down he hasn't been producing for a very long time do you have faith in anyone on Nashville right now to pick up the offense aside from we talked about Roman Yosi still being good and maybe Philip Forsberg is worth holding on to and Shea Weber of course but aside from those three guys would you want any of the other Nashville forwards for the rest of the season?
1: Well, they've all been struggling, and we're not going to run down every one of their numbers. I will zero in on Ribeiro for just a second, though, just two points in his last 10 games. And he's a guy who we had this argument earlier in the season, Elon, when you really wanted to add him to our fantasy team. And all credit to you, he did a lot for us several weeks and several matchups. However, my argument at the time was that he needed to be working with a productive winger to collect points because he doesn't take a lot of shots, and he's relying on setting up players who can finish really, really well, which is what was happening at the start of the season. It has stopped all of the Predators. were riding high percentages for, like, the first three or four months of the season, and those have really tapered off lately. We had these discussions about Forsberg. We had some of them about Wilson and Fisher, about how all of them were doing so well and they looked so good, but it just seemed like they couldn't keep it up. And they did keep it up, credit to them, longer than we might have thought. However, it looks like it is time to pay the piper for the Nashville Predators, and they still need Pekka Rinne to steal them games without the goal support they were offering him before. I am more anxious today about owning Nashville Predators than I have been at any point so far this season.
0: Okay, now let's go to Chicago because we have to mention Christopher Stieg. We talked about how well he was doing, what an amazing season he was having, and he was playing with these good line mates. Everything was going so well for him, but all of this came down to a crashing halt, and especially the apex of this was he got healthy scratched against the Rangers a couple of games ago. He came back to play against Dallas, did nothing and overall Versteegh now has three points in his last 12 games he's taking zero and one shots for most of the games lately and in their last game his line mates were Brad Richards and Brian Bickle and of course you know it's hard because Patrick Kane went down and that probably hurt his chances of playing with good line mates because everything had to be reshuffled but Brian at this point do you still like Versteegh or do you think it's time to get him out of your roster?
1: It's become pretty clear that Patrick Kane was the straw that stirred Chris Versteeg's drink, and I was bearish on Versteeg for a good chunk of the season, and he proved me wrong for longer than I thought he would. However, obviously, working just with Brad Richards and whatever winger they're playing with is not going to do it for Chris Versteeg. He's like a depth guy who can do well with somebody who can produce, but I don't think he's somebody who can drive production on his own. Elon, while we're talking about the Blackhawks, can I throw out another name that has caused a lot of pulleys, a lot of concern, and we've tried to cover it on this show, and it's been somewhat of a mystery, but Patrick Sharp continues to struggle. He did have two multi-point games in the last week or so, two goals, two assists, and he has 32 shots over his last seven games, both very promising signs he's playing on the top line instead of the third line he's got Jonathan Taves and Marian Hosa as his line mates that could be a reason why his shot totals are so healthy although he has proven that he can do that more or less on his own if you have Patrick Sharper if he's available in your league I would have faith I'd consider him a good guy to still have on your roster
0: That's nice to have a little bit of sunshine in this snoozer segment of the show. Yeah, Patrick Sharp looks like someone that I would want to have. And also, maybe I'll mention one more Chicago player, someone who you don't want to have. People were holding on to him all year, hoping he'd get traded to a great situation. And Antoine Vermette got traded to Chicago, this high-scoring, awesome team. And he's proceeded to put up pretty much zeros in all of his games there. Aside from one two-assist game, he has no points in 12 games. So I feel like Antoine Vermette is for sure a snoozer. And we've been getting some questions of people asking, should I pick up Vermette or this other guy? And Brian always answers on Twitter. He's not a fan of Vermette fantasy-wise. And at this point, with him slumping, the answer is probably going to continue to be the other guy.
1: Yeah, Vermette was the guy in Arizona, and of course, he didn't have much of a supporting cast to help him produce, but even with all the opportunities he was given, he was still like barely a half a point per game player, and for some reason, his stock just started rising and rising and rising from the start of the season, and we had people asking us, Elon, I think as early as January, what if Vermette gets traded? Is that somebody I should have on my team? And being traded to Chicago to play in a second-line role is really like one of the best case trade deadline scenarios, and he has not been able to do a lot with it. Just two points. They both came in the same game, In his other seven games of Chicago, he has been pointless. He is predictably getting zero, one, or two shots most of the time. This is a guy who has not averaged more than two shots a game for four straight seasons, and even before that, he was never much of a shooter either. Ten shots overall in eight games do not inspire a ton of confidence. He is a negative possession player, not seeing especially difficult minutes. I don't have a ton of faith in Antoine Vermette going forward. I think you can leave him in free agency Or drop him. He is snoozing right now.
0: Okay, and we had a couple of snoozers from Toronto to mention, but really, what's the point? But yeah, Bozak, definite snoozer at this point. He hasn't been doing anything for a super long time. Nazem Kadri got suspended for a bit, and he wasn't putting up many points before that. At this point, Toronto can't score. Brian, I don't know if you have anything to add there, but I want to end this snoozer segment. So is there any reason to hang on to anyone on Toronto?
1: No, like the news seems to be getting worse and worse and every quote coming from the dressing room is gloomier and gloomier. There is even an anonymous quote in the last few days coming out of Toronto from a player saying things aren't going well. That is like almost rock bottom. And if you followed some of the team's beat writers, including James Myrtle, you would see that things are just so... So awful and they are right off the rails. And Elon, I feel bad doing this because like I watched the Leafs play the Sens last night and it was it was sad. It really was sad to see the reactions to penalties called against them, to goals scored against them, to like neutral moments on the bench. Just everybody seems depressed. But Tyler Bozak, sorry. But you have just 11 points in 36 games played dating back to December 31st. And Bozak has also not been a plus-rated player in his last 12 consecutive contests. Don't tell us we didn't warn you, but Tyler Bozak is not worth having on your fantasy team. This is a heavy snoozer. This is somebody definitely even before this week. If there was still months left in the season, it would be time to drop him.
0: So, okay, time to cheer up. I want to now talk about players on hot streaks. We're doing everything backwards this week. We'll talk about injuries and outjuries at the end. But, okay, let's go to a players now that you want to maybe look at replacing some of these snoozers with. And I want to go right to the team we always seem to go to. Well, one of them, we have Florida that we seem to go to a lot, but also Winnipeg we talk about every week. But, Brian, Winnipeg's leading scorer over the past month has been Mark Shifley. This guy has been on fire. He's got 13 points in his last 12 games. He's taking a ton of shots. In His last three games, he's had four, three, and five shots. And this guy's not even a big shot taker. He only has 151 shots in 72 games on the year overall. So that's, you know, just basically a two shots per game pace, but he's blowing that away. Like I said, he's getting all of these points. Obviously, the injury to Brian Little has improved his position on the team now. He's playing with Blake Wheeler. He's on the top power play. Winnipeg has a nice schedule next week, also. Winnipeg plays Edmonton and then Vancouver on Monday and Tuesday, and then Montreal, which is obviously a tough game to score on Thursday. But yeah, for early next week, I really like Mark Shifley as a pickup.
1: Elon, I think you just about covered everything there was to say there. Shifley has been good. You texted me last night... OMG, Shifley is killing us, and he is. Like, we might have almost lost our matchup because our opponent added Shifley, and we didn't. It's funny that the Jets made these deadline acquisitions, like Stafford and Salusti, and perhaps, you know, they haven't been doing absolutely nothing. Stafford has been quite good with 12 points over his last 12 games played, maybe quite good, is understating his effort. But Mark Shifley has been a guy to step up in the absence of Evander Kane, and now Brian Little as somebody who can help produce on this team, and we've been big fans of him for a couple years now, it's really nice to see him start putting up those points and getting almost 20 minutes a game.
0: Yeah, and hey, I don't want to be one of those guys, but I did say a long time ago that I thought Stafford was going to be great on Winnipeg. Maybe the injuries have helped because he has a better role, but hey... You can't argue with 12 points in his last 12 games. Brian, you know, he's still available in our league, so we might have to have a discussion later on. But okay, sticking with Winnipeg, here's a question we've started to get a lot, but most recently from at Sumiajit over on Twitter, asking, time to drop Hutch for Pavlik? And that's the big question, right? All season, it's been Michael Hutchinson, who's seemed to usurp Andrej Pavlik and become the number one goalie in Winnipeg, only to totally blow it. And fantasy playoff time, and then Pavlik's come in and done pretty well. So, Brian, at this point, let's say you have Hutchinson, Pavlech is a free agent, no other goalies are available. Do you make the swap right now?
1: Yeah, I do. I think you want to ride whatever Jets goalie is in net. They have a really good team. Their offense is solid. Their defense is solid. They just need reliable goaltending, and I think they're going to go with whoever will give it to them. Right now, that is Andre Pavlik. He has started three consecutive games and posted a 970 save percentage in that span. And it's really funny to be having this conversation even because it took so long for the Jets to give Hutchinson that turn in net And he ran with it so hard that you thought we'd never see Pavlik again. And Pavlik had also had some terrible games. And even recently, he gave up that super deflating like half-ice goal against St. Louis that was a really important game for Winnipeg's playoff hopes. But he has redeemed himself. And there was a stretch earlier this season where people were going nuts and saying Pavlik had finally developed and finally become the goalie that everybody always hoped, even since the Jets were still the thrashers. I was a big non-believer then that he's a long-term great fantasy option, and I'm still a non-believer now, but we're looking short-term, and if you're looking between him and Hutch, you can see their save percentages, their rolling averages over 10 games going in opposite directions. Pavlicis has remained steady with a slow incline, a slow ascension going up, while Hutchinson started high and has been on a slow decline until he finally crashed in the last few weeks with a series of poor starts. So Pavlik, yes, even over Hutchinson, forget the first 40 games or 30 games that he played and did so well. We're looking at Hutchinson and Pavlik right now. So is Jets management, and both parties should choose Pavlik for as long as his run lasts. The next
0: player I want to talk about in this segment of Players on Hot Streaks, this is I guess for more shallow leagues because he's probably already owned in deeper leagues, but we've got to mention Thomas Plekanets. This guy has really broken out recently. In his last five games, he's got three goals and four assists. He's playing with Pacioretty, who we've already mentioned in a previous episode, is a huge fantasy stud that's sometimes overlooked. He's on the top power play. Now I'm talking back about Plekkanets. He's on the top power play, on the top line, like I said. He's taking lots of shots. This guy is someone you want to have in your league, no matter how shallow it is. I want Plekkanets in your lineup, if he's available. Brian, are you with me?
1: I am with you. I've been with you all season. And I admit I am guilty of dangling Plekenitz as trade bait. Earlier this season, when I was trying to upgrade my roster, I am very lucky that some of those trades did not go through. He is just 12 shots away from breaking his career-high shots on goal total over the course of a full season. And one thing that he's had going for him all season, which helps a lot in terms of producing consistently... And Elon, you mentioned his line mates is one. Another is his deployment. He's actually seeing minutes that are somewhat easier. Still difficult, but somewhat easier than what he's seen in the past. He was used in like a shutdown role and did a very good job of it while still producing. This year, he's in just a little bit less of a shutdown role while doing an even better job of producing. So... Yeah, caps off to Thomas Pleikinitz. He shouldn't be available in your league, but apparently he's unowned in 37% of ESPN leagues.
0: Yeah, so if you're in one of those leagues, scoop him up. Now to a guy who's definitely more likely to be available, only 5.3% owned in ESPN leagues, and this is after a huge jump in the past week. I want to talk about Marco Dano on the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I'll admit, this is someone who I didn't even know who he was a couple of weeks ago, but he's come out of nowhere and has had a hugely productive last month or so. He's got four goals and four assists in his last nine games. He's taking a ton of shots. He's now got 64 shots in 26 games on the year, 14 points. But again, just looking at these last 10 games, he's got 31 shots, so that's averaging around three shots a game. Like I said, he's producing. He's got great linemates right now, or at least good for Columbus. He's playing with Nick Felino and Scott Hartnell. Nothing too shabby there. He's not getting power play time, though, so that might be a point against him. But still, you can't argue with his success recently. Or maybe you can. Brian, what do the underlying numbers say? Do we want Marco Dano in our lineups?
1: Well, Elon, that's something I asked you last week, and you said, who is this guy? And then he had that great run of production. Sorry, you mentioned Shai Felice, so I don't know if I'm getting you back or not. But Dano has been excellent since his second call-up of the season that came back in mid-February. He's done very well on a line, playing mostly, you said he was with Felino last game, but mostly he's been playing with Scott Hardnell and Alexander Venberg who actually has five points himself in his last four games played. Not as many shots as Dano. I'll still take Dano. Also, if you look at how the whole team is doing, how every Columbus forward is doing at even strength, Dano leads Columbus forwards in points per 60 minutes at even strength by a fair margin. He is also their best possession forward by also a fair margin. This is like an almost 20-game span. I linked to an article on Twitter by Todd Cordell about how good his possession numbers and his shot rates have been since this most recent call-up. I'm a fan of his. There's no question he should be on your watch list and perhaps he should be on your roster if you're looking to stream and there are few options on your free agency list.
0: Next, we have to go back to Florida like we always seem to do. And I've already mentioned this player earlier when I was saying of guys you might want to pick up when we were talking about the snoozers, but we have to mention Brandon Puri. What a week and actually longer than that he's had, but... Most specifically, in his last five games, he has four goals. He had a four-game stretch of getting a goal in each game, including a 10-shot game against Montreal. Still only 7.1% owned in ESPN leagues. Brian, are people
1: crazy for not having added Brandon Peary yet? And perhaps ESPN owners are even a little more savvy than Yahoo owners. Only 4% owned in Yahoo pools, and I think think in reasonably deep leagues, yes, people are crazy for not having added Brandon Peary yet. Do you know that there's like a kind of chicken, it's called piri Peary Chicken, or pronounced pili Pilly Chicken means very hot.
0: Yeah, there's actually a great place over on DuPont Street for anyone in Toronto, but I think I see where you're getting at here, Brian. And that
1: is that there's a great place in Ottawa on Montreal Road called Pili Billy Grilled Chicken that you should get, but What I'm actually getting at, of course, is that the name is very fitting for Brandon Peary's production lately. We said that he was a candidate when he was traded to Florida to finally get some ice time that he desperately needed to show off his offensive skill that he couldn't in a very deep Chicago lineup. It took a while. Here he is. That four game goal scoring streak that you mentioned was just snapped last night. But excluding that, before that, he had 7 goals in his last 10 games played and 12 goals in his last 18 games played. He had over 60 shots in that spin. Things are going really well for Brandon Peary. He should be in your lineup if you've got the right spot for him.
0: Okay, and let's rattle off a few more names quickly before getting to the injuries and outjuries and ending the show. But okay, I want to talk about Michael Grandland. He's got 13 points in his last 15 games. We mentioned him when he was coming out of his injury that he might be someone to look at, and he started slow but really heating up lately. Everyone on Minnesota is doing better lately than they were for a while. I'll say that. Also, I wanted to say that... Matt Molson might be someone to look at on the Brock Sagan episode that we did a couple of days ago. He mentioned another couple of Sabres in Tyler Ennis and Johan Larsson, but another guy is Matt Molson, who's fallen to only 7.5% owned in ESPN. But he's putting up a decent amount of points, 11 points in his last 14 games. So, Brian, what are your thoughts on Granlund and Molson? Who would you like more of those two?
1: Granlund we spoke about last week and how his line is finally clicking. He is not a guy who's going to score a lot of goals or get a lot of shots, but as long as Pommonville and Parisi keep finishing, he's going to be okay. And it's a reasonable bet that Parisi and Pommonville will both keep finishing. As for Molson, he has 30 shots in his last 10 games. So a different kind of production. Although all those shots have not led to many more goals than Granlund, I still think he's probably capable of scoring more goals over the rest of the season. If I'm looking for goals, I go Molson. If I'm looking for assists, I go Granlund. Also, of course, like I already said, shots on goal. Also tilts towards Molson, but plus minus tilts towards Granlin. So pick your cats and make your decision accordingly.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how Matt Molson fell so much because he was a fantasy stud when he was on the Islanders and for good reason you know playing with John Tavares now we talk about the likes of Anders Lee and Josh Bailey as being fantasy studs or maybe not yet but maybe they're on their way especially Anders Lee but yeah Matt Molson I had him earmarked as maybe someone who Buffalo would trade and I know there weren't any rumors about him getting traded but I thought maybe he would and he would be a great guy to pick up for the playoffs that didn't happen but he's still doing well and I think is worth a roster spot in a deep league crazy to say that we're recommending Sabres in the past couple of episodes after how things have been going for a of the season
1: well they're available and if they go on a run it doesn't matter long term like we're not looking at the f- long-term futility of the buffalo sabers we're looking at guys who are playing out the season in the spoiler role with a lot less pressure just maybe putting up a few points on their way out
0: and a group of people that we appreciate when they're on their way in are the patrons of keeping Carlson, and we'd love to have some more patrons come on in and join the ranks of of Keeping Carlson patrons. I know there's only a few weeks left in the season, but hey, maybe you could join up for the last month, subscribe for $5, and you get access to our patron-only Facebook group where we're helping each other through these fancy hockey playoffs. We've got a patron cast scheduled for next Tuesday, so if you're available for that, if not, you'd be able to get the audio afterwards. Now's the time, if ever, to become a patron, and we'd love to have you aboard, so check out keepingcarlson.com patron for more information.
1: If you have an urgent question that is pressing for your future in this season, in your playoff matchups, and you need it answered as quickly as possible, you should ask it on our Facebook group. And of course, that's what our patrons have access to. We also make ourselves available on Twitter, but we do check Facebook and answer questions there several times a day.
0: Okay, and of course, we can't end the show without doing the segment that we usually do every week to start the show. Let's talk about some of the injuries that have happened over the past week. Probably the biggest names are Hornquist and Malkin. We already talked about them, but also Martin St. Louis on the Rangers. He's out indefinite amount of time, probably not going to be back next week. We talked about how this maybe affects Stepan and how he's back on the top line and hopefully will break out of his slump. But Brian, what do you think about Martin St. Louis' injury? Is he worth grabbing to maybe get a game out of in the last week of the season, or do you just dump him now?
1: I actually think this is good news for Martin St. Louis owners who are really struggling and who may finally feel okay to break the ties that bind their fantasy team to Martin St. Louis. He tallied just three points in his last 10 games played, and he'd been producing at a largely inconsistent rate since the middle of January. And I wonder, Elon, if this season could essentially be his swan song in terms of being considered amongst the fantasy elite though it has come a couple years later than I would have thought. I remember trying to convince you like two years ago that he was not keeper worthy for your own fantasy team. And well, he showed up a little longer than I expected. But this year, there is some real reason to believe that it could be it. He has put up his lowest even strength shooting rates of his career. You match that with declining ice time and possession numbers, and it's not a rosy outlook for Marty St. Louis. So if you have him, Now you can feel okay about dropping him or at least stash him in your IR and see if you can find a hotter hand to help you through your matchups rather than waiting for him to come around. I was going to say that Kevin Hayes is probably the other lucky one in addition to Marty St. Louis fantasy owners, but uh, he's actually tailed off in his production a little bit. He entered the top six and we have relatively lower expectations for him, but that doesn't necessarily excuse poor shot rates and just a goal and four points total in his last 10 games played.
0: Yeah, and it looks like in the last game, Kevin Hayes made his exit from the top six. He's back to playing with guys like Carl Hagelin and Jesper Fast. JT Miller actually snuck his way in there and played with Zuccarello and Brassard. so you could monitor that situation if you're in a league deep enough to warrant looking at guys like Kevin Hayes and JT Miller. Let's jump to a couple of goalies now. We mentioned on the episode on Thursday with Brock Sagan that Ryan Miller is officially out for the rest of the regular season, so Eddie Lack is the guy in Vancouver. On the day we recorded that episode, Eddie Lack had a pretty crappy start against Columbus, but then he redeemed himself In his last game against LA letting only one goal on 26 shots so Eddie Lack he's the guy in Vancouver and definitely a guy you need to hang on to
1: and it might be a little early but in playoff pools I think he'd be a really good choice I think even if Ryan Miller does recover and does get healthy enough in time to start game one should the Vancouver Canucks find themselves in the playoffs I still think that they would be better served by going with Eddie Lack for this playoffs and like for the rest of Miller's contract, which is ridiculously terrible, and will look more and more inexcusable as the years roll on.
0: And the other goalie I wanted to talk about is Craig Anderson, who re-aggravated his hand injury, but that's not so bad for the Senators, because it's been Andrew Hammond's net, and he's been amazing. Of course, we also talked about him with Brock, but he keeps on winning. His last two starts haven't been that great, but he's getting the wins. The Sens are playing for him. They're fighting for that playoff spot, so I feel like Hammond has also got Brian, finally, have you turned around? Would you now pick Hammond up if he was available in your league? I'm sure he's not anymore.
1: He's not available in my league, no. And he's not available in our league. And he's probably not available in your league. But that might be an okay thing. Yes, he's been amazing and outstanding and incredible. And I've said the whole way through, don't add him. You don't need him. Ottawa can't win games even if he does perform okay. And he's not going to perform okay because over his career, he's a below average minor league goalie. And I acknowledge all the mistakes that I have made in saying that, however, I still stand by that there is no rational explanation or reasonable way that we could have expected things to go this way, and I think the last two starts might be a more accurate sign of what's to come, but hear me out. He has an 8.57 save percentage in his last two starts. He's given up seven goals on 56 shots. That is awful. And I've watched a lot of his time in Ottawa and cheered from the whole way through, and I've noticed three things about the Hamburglar. Let's start with the neutral one, and that's that he's not making those one or two or three big saves every game that he did on that first California road trip when he started to make a name for himself. Now, this is not completely up to him, right? He has to be hung out to dry to a certain extent or have the other team make a really good play for him to make a really flashy and important save, but that has not been a feature of his last few starts for one reason or another. The negative point, the clearly negative point, is that in addition to a save percentage, for two games in a row, his opponents have found success against him by taking low percentage shots through traffic. They're occasionally deflected, but sometimes they get through clean, and he just hasn't looked ready or square. I mean, I'm not a goal expert, but from the eye test, I don't know, I feel like his positioning has not been incredible, and it seems like teams might have a bit of a book on him now. Shoot the puck through traffic from weird places on the ice. And a positive to round off this little analysis of Andrew Hammond is that the Sens look like a team that can maybe help their goalie pick up a few wins versus the team before Hammond came in that needed their goalie to pick up the wins for them. Ottawa has fantastic, well, okay, good score-adjusted Corsi numbers in the last while, right around the top 10 in the league. That's possession, by the way, when you're accounting for score effects and what the score is in a game and what you should expect. Go to puckon.net for more info on that. And the Sens are going to do more favors for their goalie today than they could have done at any point in the last two or three years, which means despite any poor numbers that Hemmin may post, he's still going to have a shot at getting some Ws.
0: Okay, and let's go to some outjuries now. Sammy Votnin came back after his long time away, got an assist in his first game back against Colorado. We'll see how he does today against the Rangers. He's back on the top power play. He played 22 minutes, so it seems like he should be right where he was on your roster before he got injured, right, Brian?
1: Yeah, they're not going to ease him back into the lineup, it looks like, and perhaps you should just be a little bit concerned about the rest of the Ducks' blue line, like James Wisniewski and Hampus Lindholm and Cam Fowler and Francois Beauchemin are all guys that you might own for different reasons in different leagues. Keep an eye on their ice times as Vatanen's return progresses.
0: Also another guy who was out for a long time but is finally back is Boone Jenner. He played in the Columbus Blue Jackets last game against Calgary, played for 16 minutes and 30 seconds, got one shot on goal, was plus one. No points to show for it though, but he's having an okay year. He has 12 points in 21 games now, so that's over a half point per game. In a deeper league, you might want to take a look at Boone Jenner.
1: Decent shot rates too, and if he's given the same opportunities that he had before he got injured, and that was on a decimated Columbus roster then he should be able to still be like a marginally relevant player for you. It's also worth mentioning just because of Brandon Peary's recent success that another Blackhawk who was buried on their depth chart who got a new chance in Columbus and hadn't produced so far is also coming back to the lineup. Jeremy Morin has been activated from injured reserve. Don't rush to him, but maybe keep an eye out. I think one day he'll be able to have some fantasy relevance. Will that day be in the next three weeks? Don't know. Watch him. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs)
0: and finally we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the big return of taylor hall yesterday to all the fanfare everyone was so excited taylor hall is finally back to play on the third line with anton lander and andrew miller what why isn't he with everly and nugent hopkins but hey he got an assist yesterday in overtime so i guess it's definitely time to bring taylor hall back into your lineup though maybe you want to be concerned if he's going to have these bad line mates
1: Lilan, you said, why isn't he playing with Eberle and Eugene Hopkins on the top line? The reason is because Benoit Pouliot has been doing very well there lately. He's on a five-game point streak, three goals and three assists for six points in that span. And I guess they don't want to move him right away. And Elon, you and I had like a long conversation about whether we wanted to set up our lineup in a way so that we can activate Taylor Hall as soon as possible or leave him stashed away so we can continue having some other guy like Lens Boma collect hits for us on our roster. And Elon, you were really concerned about whether or not he can make a realistic impact to our fantasy team.
0: Well, I mean, the assist in overtime maybe eased my concern a little bit, but overall, yeah, I mean, Taylor Hall is Taylor Hall, but if he's on the third line, that's not going to help very much, though I'm assuming that in the long run, he'll get back to playing top elite player minutes.
1: I'm going to say that whatever line Taylor Hall plays on, if it's not the first line, it should be considered the second line. He's a really... Really good player, and maybe he was being eased back into things last night. But this goes back to the point that I opened the show with, and that is regardless of what they've been doing over the last 10 or 15 games, if nothing significant has changed in a long term sort of picture and there's no trend that's very concerning, it's just a series of bad games with no clear explanation or rationalization for it. Still count on your best players over the last weeks of the season. They're the guys you have to live and die by, and Elon. I insist that we live in